We're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. Second Timothy chapter 4. I was just thinking when I was praying there that the crowns will not be distributed until the last day, the day when all's over down here for the church. And one of the reasons for that is that take for instance somebody sitting in a meeting some night and there's a gospel singer and that singer has prayed over the singing of her or his messages and the someone through the singing is saved, restored or blessed. That crown, that crown yet will be for that person that is singing and all the rewards will not be given out until the end, until the preaching's over and the singing's over and the service for God is over because they're all accumulating. If you, they're not being distributed till the very end. And when we go at the rapture to see Christ, then they'll all be made up then. And every blessing that the Lord has called us to do with our gifts will be all added up together and then the rewards will be given out. We're Second Timothy chapter 4 and this is a solemn chapter. About the year AD 57 the Apostle Paul was arrested in Jerusalem he was tried at Caesarea and then he was taken to Rome. Remember on the journey they hit the storm and for six months they were on the island of Malta. And then he went on to Rome and he was a prisoner there of the Romans. From 57 AD to 65 AD when he died, he was a prisoner most of that time. And the last epistles of his life that he wrote were Philipp, Philippians and Second Timothy. And these are the dying words of the great apostle. When he writes this, he's in a prison and they, they reckon that they have identified the prison. And if you want to put it up on your internet, you will see it. It was a rat-infested dungeon under the ground. They say that he was chained to a dead Roman soldier. It was the most derelict, the most uh, awful place that any man could end his days. The Romans were cruel. But he writes this letter here and he's addressing young Timothy who is going to take over from him. The mantle of Paul is going to land on Timothy and Timothy's a meek and timid man, not like Paul. And if you read through the first and second Timothy, you'll see that he needed a lot of encouragement. And Paul gives him a lot of encouragement, but he also gives him a lot of facts about what he's going to face uh, when he takes over and stands for God in this area of time. 
In chapter 4 and verse 1, he says this, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his, and I'm told in the original, it should read this, at his near appearing and the kingdom. Paul always kept the future near coming of the Lord. Then here's the charge. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come, and of course we know it has come, when they will not endure sound doctrine. He's speaking to God's people. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, wanting to hear this one and that one and running to hear some new thing. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't necessarily say that he's going to be a full-time evangelist. And there's a lot of ministers and pastors, and they're not full-time evangelists, but they should be doing the work. They must do the work. Evangelism, evangelist is a gift of its own, but we all must do the work. Must do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. Now watch these. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith henceforth. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's crown, crown number five. And that's what we're following after tonight. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Now here's the bit. Boys have it ended there. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed from Thessalonica. Christians to Galatia and Titus unto Dalmatia. And we lend the reading there and we know that God will bless the reading of his words. These final words of the great apostle Paul are primarily prophetical. That is, at the time of dying and at the time of writing, these were all future events which had yet to take place. Some already, of course, by now, that we have read have taken place. And if I give you an outline for these verses tonight, it will make our message on this fifth crown, when we come as far as it, easier to grip hold of. So I want you to set your eyes on verse 1, 
Because in verse 1, he's talking about the Savior's return. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing and as a kingdom. Now you have the rapture and the review. You have the rapture and the judgment seat all in that verse. What a mighty verse this is. What a wonderful verse this is for the appearing of the Lord to take the dead out and the living that's living and bring us to the heaven and to stand before the beamer. It's all in this one verse. This is a mighty verse. So you have the Savior's return very clearly. And you have the reward of the beamer seat all in that verse for us to, uh, to judge the quick and the dead. The second thing that uh, I see in these verses is not only the Savior's return, but the season of rebellion, rebellion when we come to verse 3. And there's a rebellion here. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They'll walk after the flesh with itching ears and turn away from the truth. I tell you, my friend, if anything marks the last days of this dispensation in the last number of years, if anything marks it, it's rebellion against the word of God by many of God's people. Not only have you the Savior's return and the season of rebellion, but, but you have the servant's readiness. See verse 6, for I am now ready. You have the servant's resilience in verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. And you have the servant's reward in verse 8. Now, I want you to let that sink in. We have to get this over to you now. We'll, go, we'll just take the vic out on this here again. There's the servant's readiness. He says, I am now ready. There's the servant's resilience in verse 7. I have fought. Paul, Paul, there's no reverse gear in Paul. He says, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. And there's the reward in verse 8, the crown of righteousness. Now, some of the old Puritans used to say, there's plenty of God's bread here for us tonight. Now, if you want these verses and, and this text further outlined and broadened, I can do it in another way. Because apart from the prophetical that is here, that's mentioned, the prophetical, there's another thing that jumps out of these verses, and it's the word, not prophetical, but it's the word departure. And while it's only mentioned one, Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand, it's all over these verses. First of all, there's the departure of the saints in verse 1. There's the departure from the scriptures in verse 3. And there's the departure of the soldier, Paul himself, the old veteran soldier. His time has come. And if you want another, and I want to show you this tonight, if you want another departure, you have it in verse 10. Watch verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica. It was a wicked, evil city. He went back into the world 
lock, stock, and bar. Now, why does he put that in there? Now, he mentions two more in that verse who also went back, but he doesn't say anything about them. He doesn't say where they went. He doesn't say why they went. He says nothing about them. It may be good that they went, and it may be bad. I don't know. But why did he take this man, Demas, and, uh, and, and mention Demas? Well, the answer to that is, is keeping in context of the crown. Because if you look at that in verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me. That's a very strong word. You know, this man Demas must have been a powerful character to be along with Paul for so long, preaching and praying. And, and the devil got in, and the devil can get in, and good preachers can be brought down, and they can go back, and some of them never recover. And it will betide us that we don't watch ourselves. Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. And this, this man, Demas, with gifts, must have been abundant and was used mightily of God, but he, he, he went back, he, he forsook. That's the same word used that are, as used of our Lord Jesus when he hung on the cross at Calvary, when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, abandoned me? Now, this man has abandoned Paul in the ministry. Now, don't you tell me that there'll be crowns for him. And I think Paul's bringing that out very clear here, and he wants us to have a bit of common sense when we read it. Don't you think for one moment that you can abandon the work of God and the servant of God and go back into worldliness and expect a crown at the end of the day? But you'll not be getting it. Because this is a crown of righteousness. And you keep that in your mind. Tonight is the crown of righteousness. Now, the first thing above all that shines out from this dying declaration of this saint of God is the incredible, solemn, and serious charge that he gives to the young pastor, Timothy. He's soon going to hand the mantle over to him, and he charges him. I charge now, unless we can get the meaning of that word charge, we'll not get a grip or a handle on the rest of it. So I want you to keep your attention now for a minute on this word charge. And by doing that, I want you to turn back to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, just back a few pages, and to the verse 21. Because he uses this word often to Timothy. And here we have it in five and first Timothy five and verse twenty one. And this is to do with the eldership because it's in the context of eldership. He says, I charge thee, now I want you to watch this, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things. Now, we're not really interested in what he's charged them about here. We're interested in the charge. This charge is before God. It's before the Son. It's before the Father. And it's before the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is penning it. And the angels. Do you see that? Do you just see that now? He's charging them in the presence of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, and the angels. 
So this is something very solemn. And it is very solemn because the word charge is an oath. An oath. A sworn oath. Now I want you to just hold that in your mind and I want you to turn on over to 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. So that we can reiterate this. He says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee, here it is, charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the peering of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have the charge again. The judge and the jury in this matter is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. This is not a charge before men. This is not an ordination some night to lay hands and minister empty hands on empty heads. This is not an ordination to send some man out to the work and charge them by elders or by pastors or ministers or anybody else. And it's laughable some of it that goes on. When they get the boy up and they come round him and they put their hands on him and they say, we're sending this man out and Uh, he has the word and we have the word and everybody has the word and he goes into some church and in six months he has the whole place wrecked. This is a solemn business. He's telling, this is a solemn business. Now turn on to your own tour text to 2 Timothy 4. Turn back and that will do us turning tonight because we have the same thing in verse 1. I charge you before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead. So the whole trinity is involved in this. See, Paul's taken this very solemn. Very solemn. He's he's shown how solemn this is. This is the second coming of the Lord that he's talking about. These are the last days. This whole context is in the last days. And he's telling them in the presence of God, you keep your eye on the peering and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the first epistle Paul wrote was 1 Thessalonians, 30 years before this. And the first epistle he wrote was first epistle, first and second Thessalonians, and it's full of the rapture and full of the coming of the Lord again. You read them. 30 years he hasn't wobbled one bit. You see, there's boys wobble all over the place today. I know men that started out in the Word of God and the premillennial view of Scripture and they could see it very clearly, aye, and they preached it. And then they got a wee bit of education about them and got a wee bit of doctrine about them that they thought was better and they started to turn it away and then they got rid of all their books on the premillennial and they went into amillennial and there was a boy the other day, I said, I said to him, what do you believe now? I don't know what he believes. And Paul wasn't like that. Some boy's going on the mid-rapture and somebody's going before, after the tribulation. Somebody's going before the tribulation and the twist and the change and the wobble. Paul never wobbled. 
He says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. What he believed, he believed, and he stuck to it, and he preached it. He had no fear. Oh, what a wonderful character. What a wonderful character this man was. The coming of the Lord, and and this is a serious charge. This is a serious business that he's putting over to this man. So the first point that I have is that it was in the the charge was in the presence of the Trinity. You see, there was accountability and a responsibility that he had to get over to this young man. So it was in the presence. The whole heaven was looking on. I tell you, if we realize that tonight, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and it is true, and it is so, watch it, everything that we've done today. So there's a, in the presence of the Trinity. The second charge was with the preaching of truth. Verse 2, preach the word. Now, the word for preach there is the word herald. It means to sound out loud and clear like a trumpet blast. Boy, we need that preaching today. We are not negotiators of the word. We're not ambassadors of the word. We're not counselors for the word. We're preachers of the word. I heard of a certain denomination recently and they're recommending that they have a permanent paid psychiatric nurse in their fellowships. God help us. How far have we gone? If they'd go and get into the word and preach the word, I'll tell you it would it would cure many an ill. I would cure every ill. One of these fellows I said to him one day, I said, Then tell me this, sir. And and he does a good job and he's a good counselor and he's all the rest, and people go to him, and you go to counseling if you need counseling, and you need to go, people need to go, there's things to go for. And I said, do you think, I said to him one day, do you think if we got back to preaching the word and Holy Ghost power and fire, would there be any need for you? He says, very little. There's a healing in the word. There's power in the word. There's changing power in the word. There's transforming power in the word. There's keeping power in the word. If it's preached. If it's preached. psychiatric nurse we need in our churches. What does that tell us? I tell you what we, what we might need in our churches is a staff at the intensive care nurses to fix the drips and the ventilators and keep the thing going for the church is dying for the lack of the word. There's a famine and we would need a good dose of porters that will wheel them out to the morgue. Or death. 
If we have a living Savior and a living God and a living Word, why are we in death? It's not God's fault. Uh, I don't. I wasn't going to say this, but I was. Do you know on on Palm Sunday? Do you know what one church had? Had a donkey. Donkey Sunday. And they led the donkey in. Tell me, how far have we gone? And I thought to myself, well, it wasn't one donkey, it was a half a dozen donkeys and maybe a hundred donkeys. The only donkey, the only donkey that had any sense was the donkey itself. <laughs> because he didn't know what he was doing. And I declare if he didn't, if he didn't knew what was happening, he'd have turned and hooked it. There's the donkey coming up the hill and there's the, donkey, the boy that's leading him. That's another donkey. And there's donkeys on every side of him and there's donkeys on this side of him and there's the biggest donkey in the pulpit. Don't let it happen. The dying words in the presence of God coming from this old veteran. Remember, these are the last words of the great apostle. Preach! Preach the word. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which believe it is the power of God and that word power is dynamite. Paul could say time and time again, we preach Christ crucified, dead, buried and risen. There's the power. Because if I be lifted up onto the cross, I will draw all men unto me. For I determine not to know anything amongst you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. My speech and preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. Dynamite! Dynamite! I can honestly testify to 34 years here on the 5th of June. That the preaching of the word coupled with prayer has brought anything about that has been accomplished here. I can honestly say that. The preaching of the word. Well, this is a lifeboat, it's not a cruise ship. This is a boat to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. And we have seen that happening through the preaching of the pure, solid word of God. He that winneth souls is wise. Woe is me, he says, if I preach not the gospel. But you see, there's not only is the charging um, in the presence of the Trinity and the preaching of truth, but there's a problem with time here. You watch verse 2, preach, preach the word. Herald out the word. Be instant. That word instant is urgent. Urgent. The king's business requires haste. There's no time for fooling about with donkeys while souls are perishing. 
The king's business requires haste. Jesus could say, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I must work the works of him that sent me, for the night is coming when no man can work. Boy, his heart and soul was burdened over the time. The times that was short. I tell you, friends, the time is very short, and if we don't start get back to preaching, preaching the word, be instant, urgent. In season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. I wouldn't have time to go into them words and dismantle them tonight, but you do. And boy, if you get a hold of all these words and get them out and into your mind, you'll look around and you'll say, boy, I, I would. It's not going on in many churches. In season and out of season, at weddings, at funerals, at functions. Oh, now don't be denying the people with the gospel. No, no. At weddings, at funerals, every opportunity that we get, we're to, there is no closed season with the gospel. You know, one of the, one of the questions that used to come up in the sergeant's exam on the police, and one that the city boys and the town boys all dreaded, but I had no problem with it. It was on the Wild Birds Act. And you were sure to get a question on the Wild Birds Act because there's a Wild Birds Act. I don't know what it says now, but it was talking about the open season and the closed season. When you should, could shoot the, the ducks on the 1st of September, the pheasants on the 1st of October, the grouse on some other time, the salmon on some other time. They're open season and closed season according to the world. Well, I knew every one of them. Was I knew when the open season for the ducks were and I knew when the open season for the pheasants were. But on the 1st of September down on the bay where I lived, it was like Dunkirk every first morning of September. Boys out on boats and boys on the shores and they're tripping at the duck. But they didn't get the best. The best of the duck, for the best of the duck was got before the 1st of September. I knew the, the open and close seasons very well. But this is not, there's no open, there's no closed season. It's all open season for the gospel. In the streets, in the corners, in the weddings, in the funerals, in the homes, in the parties. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Oh, now don't be saying too much. At the, at the funeral. Oh, I've been cautioned, you know, at funeral. <laughs> but I don't say anything and get up in the pulpit and just say what God. Oh, don't be annoying the people now about the blood and the cross. And Paul says, preach the word. That's what he says. Preach, preach the word. In season, out of season. Look at reprove. Rebuke that word, reprove is to convict, and the power of the Holy Ghost will do that. Reprove, convict, exhort with all long suffering. But here's the, for the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. 
You know, a man said to me some years ago here in this place, he said, go easy on the doctrine. Ah. There's, there's the days come when they'll not, when they don't want endure sound doctrine. They don't want the doctrine of Christ. They don't want the doctrine of the incarnation. They don't want the doctrine of repentance. They don't want the doctrines of Christ and God, do, doctrines of the cross and doctrines of the word. They'll not endure it. And then they complain, you see, Oh, 15 minutes, the boy says, you know, our wee man's a great wee man. A fellow says to me, he's a great wee man. You know, 15 minutes on a Sunday morning, and he says, it's like the closing night of a mission. Oh, well, I was at the funeral, and I heard him, and I heard him before. And I didn't hear much of a closing night of a mission about it. Don't, don't, oh, don't, 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 don't be keeping the people too long. Just give them 15 minutes. It's the ears, boys, you see. But isn't it strange that the same people could sit three hours watching soaps? Isn't it? Why is that? Because they have no hunger, they have no longing, they have no desire for the word of God. They're being fed and filled with other stuff and they don't want the word. Oh, we 15, 20 minutes on Sunday morning, we don't go over 12 o'clock and it's too late. We've got a half an hour in the car park after it. You see, this day, this day has come. Paul says the time will come when they'll not endure it. They'll not endure what? Sound doctrine. Now let me say this. Eight times to Timothy and Titus he uses the word sound. And if you're near Titus there in your Bible, just do you look and you'll, it's just the next chapter. You look at, at Titus now in verse 9. Titus 1 and verse 9. You'll get the word sound. Right? 13. You'll get the word sound. Verse chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, you'll get the word sound and sound again. In verse 8, you'll get the word sound. So here's this dying man now, and he's going out to meet the Lord, and he's calling the people to the fact that the Lord is coming, and he's in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he says, now you, you preach sound doctrine. Now what does the word sound mean? Well, You'd need to know that. It means healthy doctrine. It's the same word used when you go to the doctor and the doctor says you're 100% sound. And I say to you, my friends, tonight that the preaching of the Christ and the preaching of God and the preaching of truth and the preaching of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Lord's return is sound. It'll keep you healthy. It'll keep you spiritually healthy. And it'll bring health and holiness. For the word holiness is the word health. It'll bring holiness into your life. I and health into your body too. So he charges them, in, charges them in the presence of Trinity, he charges them to preaching of the truth, he charges him regarding the problem of time. And lastly, he charges him with the promise of the trophy. Verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but to all those that love his 
appearing. Now you just dwell as we come to a close tonight in these verses. I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul is in the departure lounge. We know from the text here it's winter time. And while he's waiting on the call, when he's waiting on the word to come to move through the exit gate, he's waiting. He says to Timothy, he says to Timothy, come quickly. Come quickly, shortly, verse 9. Do thy diligence and come shortly unto me. And he goes through that, verse 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus when thou comest bringeth with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Now, he's waiting to move out. He's, in, a, in a couple of weeks after this, they reckon that his, he was beheaded by Rome. He doesn't know exactly when the moment's going to come, but he knows it's all over. He's fought the good fight. He's, he, he's in the departure lounge. The fight is over and the flight is about to take place. And he says to Timothy, he says, when you come, will you bring the cloak with you? The left behind is cold. It was an old, damp, dark, dismal, cold place. So the old saint of God needed to keep warm. But he says, bring the books. But then he says this, and also the parchments. Those are the Old Testament scrolls. You see, it's good to have books. And we all benefit from books. And Paul used books. I don't know, I'd love to see what books Paul had. But especially the parchments, especially the scriptures. Bring the word. Here's a man right to the end, and he's in the word. He's saturating himself with the word. He's wasting no time. He knows he hasn't long to go. Bring the word. Bring the Old Testament scriptures, what we have on Jeremiah and Daniel and, and Moses. Bring it to me. Boy, he would have known it inside out, the Pentateuch and the law. Ah, friend, don't forsake the word. Don't abandon the word. Keep down on the word. Keep preaching the word. Bring the books. Bring the, bring the books. But bring especially the, the word. And then he says about Alexander the coppersmith. Where do you see this? I'm trying to show you a picture of him when he's dying now. He says, first of all, in verse 10, Demas has forsaken me, loved her. He didn't say anything else about Demas. He didn't go into a whole tirade about him. What he done and what he didn't do or anything else, he has forsaken me. He's gone back to Thessalonians, all he says. He doesn't mention the other two at all. I wonder what he might have said about them. Only Luke, he says, with me. What an awful way to die, wasn't it? But then he says this, he says, Alexander, in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. He didn't say what evil he done him. 
says the Lord reward them. Boy, what a way to die. What a lovely spirit this man had in dying. He's not slandering all around him. Hammering those boys that abused him and left him and forsook him. No, no. It is the Lord bless him. You say that tonight. You know, forgiven, a forgiven spirit is one of the greatest spirits of the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of God's people and they're bound up with unforgiveness of things that have happened in their life where people have wronged them and things have been done and they've never forgiven. Well, you'll never go on with God until you get victory over that. Never. You begin, you start saying, the Lord bless me. And the Lord bless that man and bless that woman and bless the Lord, bless them. I and and bless them as much and more than you're blessing me. Bless them. You'll get the victory. He says, let the, let the Lord reward. And so he's, the parchments, I don't know, I don't think we ever got them because he said, he says, he says, come before winter. But winter has come. And I don't believe he ever got them. And that call, that heavenly call came. And with the burden pass in his hand, <laughs> he moves through the exit gate and up into the clouds to glory. But he doesn't leave it there. And I have to finish with this tonight because that's the whole purpose of our meeting. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto them also that love his appearing. Not fear his appearing. There's a whole lot of God's people afraid of his appearing. They don't want to go. Oh no, we don't want to go. And I can honestly say, as I'm coming into my 76th year, I never yearned for home as I do at the minute. Having us beginning to take on a whole new meaning. All I want to do is when I open my eyes there and see him and love him and praise him. If there's crowns, there's crowns, and if there's not, there's not. It's not the crowns that's enticing me to go to heaven. God doesn't give these crowns to get you to get a crown in heaven. No, no. It's him that wore the crown of thorns is the one I want to see.
and not for me only, but to all who love his appearing. See, there's a whole lot of God's people that they don't love. They don't want him to come. They're afraid of him coming. They're too much tied up. Do you love, are you long love his appearing to you? Would you love him to come tonight? And the only reason that we shouldn't love him to come tonight is because there's so many of our loved ones and they're not saved. And that's one reason we should be praying and that's one reason we should be seeking God. But when we get to heaven, boy, I'll be looking for a whole crowd of people when I get to heaven that I pray for every day, I will. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to see them in heaven because I prayed for them, but you died for them. But he says, there's a laid up a crown of righteousness, not for me only, but for all those who love his appearing. May we go out from this prayer meeting, out from this meeting tonight. May we just love, and that word love is agape love. It's the same word of love we use. God so loved the world as you couldn't get a stronger love. Oh, Lord. I love you with all my heart and all my soul tonight. And I'm waiting on your appearing. You're going to take us out of this old sin-cursed world. But in the meantime, preach the word. You, you, my friend, what an, what a, well, would you expect these to be the last, anything else but the last words of the apostle when you follow his life? The coming of the Lord was in his whole and heart all his days. The judgment seat was in his heart all his days. The preaching of the word was in his heart and soul all his days. And mind you, he was the greatest, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul was the greatest man, greatest servant of God that ever graced this earth. Would you give him Hebrews? He wrote 14 epistles. He died at 65 years of age. But he fought. It was a battle. It was war. Night and day in the deep. Beaten and scourged and jailed and left for death. But he did not turn back. He says there's a crown of righteousness. It's a righteous crown. Go for this righteous crown. Live righteously. Holy before God. And wait for his coming from heaven and we shall go to be with him forever. Five crowns, wonderful study. And when we get them, oh, Revelation tells us, we'll cast them at his feet. They'll come from him anyway. But we'll give them back to him. What do we want with them? We don't want them. We'll cast the crowns before him at his feet and we'll sing glory to the lamb that was slain forever and forever and forever. Let us pray. Oh, 
Father, take what has been of thyself. We are in the presence of the Trinity tonight. We are in the presence of the angels tonight. And oh God, we know that you watch every move and every hour and every thought. And so we give ourselves to thee and pray, Father, that you'll bless these dear people. And those that have to go now, for we understand, Lord, there are those who have responsibilities. And those who stay for a little time of prayer, may it be sweet as we gather around the feet of Jesus. For it will soon be all over, Lord. And we'll soon be gone. And the call will come. And the gate will open. And we shall be forever with the Lord. Accept our thanks for your mercies and your goodness to us in these nights. For Jesus' sake, amen.